Thank you, Chad. Thank you, David. You know, microphone doesn't work if you don't turn on the battery pack. I've only been doing this 33 years, but I'm going to get it. So I learned a new word. The new word is spinter. Got to make sure you say that correctly. Spinter. Anybody know what that means? All right. We're all going to learn a new word today. That's good because the day you stop learning is the day you die. Always want to learn something new every day. I learned, for example, yesterday I coached two basketball teams. And I learned yesterday that I'm not very good at that. <laughs> Only taken me a while to learn that. But I, the second game I was late because the first game was was white knuckler and down to the wire. I didn't want to leave the, the poor girls. So I, let, I got to my other one like second half. And they're up 55 to 2 or something. And I decided, you know, they play a whole lot better when Randy ain't here. So I'm no longer showing up for those. Now, Spinter. Here's what it is. Today's weather is spinter. Anybody know why? We're in the winter, right? But the weather is spring-like. So you put those two together, what do you get? Y'all are afraid to say it, aren't you? How many of you went to Kroger this week? Don't lie, you know you did. You just don't want to raise your hands. All right, if you were in Kroger this week, raise your hand. Get them up high, be proud of it. <clears throat> How many of you ran into somebody in Kroger you know? Okay, here comes a question you're not going to be able to answer. Not in a positive, affirmative way. How many of you went up to that person and said, hi, my name is, I'm a seed sower. Oh, I'm hurt. You didn't do it. All right. Turn to Mark chapter 4. And just as we get into today's uh, message, I do want to let you know, if you'll see back here in what we call the cove or the circle wall, you'll see the starting point banner. And we're in the process of, we do it twice a year, class we call starting point. For those who might be new here and want to know what is a Christ church, why is Randy so goofy, uh, that takes several weeks to cover, but that's in there. Uh, what do they believe? What is a Christ church? Because we're independent and non-denominational, frankly, uh, some people don't know what that means. It could be they could run the gamut from absolutely crazy to, like, we've got snakes under here. We'll be bringing them out. Uh, I forgot what week that is, but Dick Hunter's in charge of snakes. So whatever week that week that is. But so you get run the gamut from that to very conservative evangelical, which is what we are. But it gives our history, our, our doctrinal beliefs, who, why we have elder form of government, where we came from, who we are, and all of those things. About a six-week course meets across the street at Plumpy's. So at 930 on Sunday mornings. If you're interested in being in that class, and you may have been here for a while, just never done that, uh, finding out what is a Christ church, do I want to be part of this, we're signing up for a new class for that Scott Helby will be teaching. So it, you can go to that banner afterwards, and either myself or someone will be there to get your information if you would like to be part of that class, and then you will be contacted. All right, Mark chapter 4. Today you got a brand new outline. Are you excited? I can tell. It will last us probably till the apocalypse. So might want to laminate it. All right, what we're going to look at today, beginning today, Mark chapter 4, is the power of the servant Savior. As we're going through the Gospel of Mark, our theme is, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for sin, obviously. And that's the words of Jesus Christ. So this particular section of Mark, we've already seen the servant savior introduced to the world and 
the Lordship of the Servant Savior. And we've been looking at for the last few weeks his teaching about the kingdom parables. So now we're going to transition into a section in the Gospel of Mark where the focus is the power of Jesus the Christ, who is our servant Savior. Now we realize as believers, as Christians, and if you've studied the Bible at all, we realize that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Jesus is God, therefore he is all-powerful. But one of the things that's fascinating about the life of Jesus of Nazareth was when Jesus, who is the Christ, the anointed one, the savior of the world, was the God in the flesh, God incarnate. Prior to that, he's always existed as God the Son. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the eternal self-existent one, God, creator of the universe, on and on. But when he came to planet Earth 2,000 years ago, stepped into, became a baby, lived on the Earth for 33 years, He limited his omnipotence, his power, to what he wanted to exhibit at the moment. In other words, he did not just, if he wanted to go from Union City to Memphis, he walked. He didn't just say, I'll be in Memphis. He walked or he rode a donkey. He was a man, 100% man. He ate, he slept, he sweat, he cried, he agonized, and... So it's fascinating to study his life as a man, realizing he was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, perfect in every way. And that's the, that's why, what's the whole focus of Mark's gospel is that this is God in the flesh. He is our servant savior. We've talked about this before, but as you study Mark, it opens with Jesus' public ministry. You don't see anything about the virgin birth. You don't see anything about the wise men. You don't see anything about the Christmas story. You don't see Jesus at age 12 in the temple. You see him as a 30-year-old man on the scene, public ministry, boom. God is here, and God is healing, and God is raising people, and God, God is, we're going to be doing incredible things over the next couple of weeks. And so that's where we are now at this section. We've seen him introduced to the world, and that, that he's been teaching in parables. What we're going to look at starting today is his incredible omnipotent power on display over certain enemies of man. So what we're going to see in this section of Mark is the victory that is ours in Christ as Christians because he is omnipotent, because he is all-powerful. You've heard me say a million times, and this is at my funeral, this is what everybody's going to say. How many gods are there? There's one God and you ain't it. And we need to understand that because that's why you come to Jesus Christ. I cannot save myself. I have a problem. I'm lost. I am a sinner. I, I live in a cursed world, cursed by sin. I have a sin nature. We turn me, again, you've heard me say a million times, if you don't believe people are sinners, what do you have to do? Just watch them. Even little ones, right? No one teaches like this cute little baby right here. Look how cute. Now give him about a year and he'll be driving you crazy because he'll be selfish, self-centered, and if he wants something, what's he going to do? He'll take it. This morning, I walk into my bedroom my little three-year-old granddaughter's laying in my bed on my pillow. So I walk over there and I say, Lydia, what are you doing on Grandy's pillow? Without 
missing a beat. She just turned three. She goes, this isn't your pillow anymore. <laughs> this is my pillow now. So I picked her up and threw her against the wall, and I said, now whose pillow is it? Get up! She was at our house Tuesday morning. I'm getting ready to walk out the door, and, and so I go over, and you know, I said, you going to give Grandy a bye kiss? She goes, no, nah, I don't think so. So I start crying, you know how you, you know you have to you do what you got to do. So I said, I right, give Grandy hugs and kisses, and she does. I said, I said, I love you, Liddy. You be a good girl today. And without again, without missing a beat, she goes, Hey, no, she didn't say hey. She said, You be a good boy today. I said, I don't think that's possible. How many of us were sinners? Whether it's my little three-year-old granddaughter Lydia or it's me, the whole range, we're all sinners. That's why Jesus had to come. But Mark's focus is, look at this guy. And you'll see he's different. He's unique. He is the God man. So what we're going to look at in this section is that power on display of the omnipotent God of the universe who spoke the universe into existence and is God over it, who condescends to become a human being, live like one of us for three years, a poor, itinerant preacher and then die in our place, live a perfect life, and then die in our place that we might know God both now and forever. And Mark says, look at him and be drawn to that man who is God, who is your Savior, and surrender yourself to him because he will give you everything you ever wanted. Peace, hope, a reason for existence, life here and life forever. So the context of Mark chapter 4 starting in verse 35 through chapter 5, verse 43, is four miracles are going to be recorded showing the power of Jesus Christ, which points to us the victory we have in him. Each of those miracles that's going to be recorded by John here are announcing by the very fact they occur and some of the words of Jesus Christ, but just the very fact they occur, what you will see is Jesus announcing to the world the defeat of one of our enemies. So look at chapter 4, verse 35. On that same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. To the other side would be the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that that will be significant as we go through this. They're going to enter into an area that's known for its paganism and its worship of the god Baal. You'll see the, the god Baal in the Old Testament. It was such a prominent idol of the pagans that it came to be known, it came to be uh, the term that was used to describe all paganism as Baal worship. But he was a specific pagan god. So they're crossing over to Denarii to the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where they were, which is primarily an area of Jews, to an area of pagan Baal worshipers. So we'll, that will be into that more into that next week. So what I want to do is just to begin to look at this first miracle, showing Jesus' power, therefore we have victory, his power over danger. Power over danger. So look at the context again, verse 35, they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee. So if they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee, what does that mean? Over to the other side, what does that mean? They're on the Sea of Galilee, okay? Sometimes some of your Bibles you'll see uh, referred to as Lake Gennesaret, it's the same thing. The Sea of Galilee. So they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're crossing from one side to the other. And on verse 35, it tells you it's the same day. That's important contextually what we've been talking about the last few weeks. 
This is the same day in which Jesus taught them those incredible kingdom parables we've been looking at with the seeds and the sower and the strong man. This is on that same day. And he's preached the Sermon on the Mount prior. Now he gives them the great kingdom parables. And now they're going to cross over to this land of the pagan Baal worshipers. And this is significant as you see what happens. So they're on the sea the same day and they're crossing over. Verse 35, continue. The same day when evening had come. So it's been a long, exhausting day. Jesus, again, as a human being, he got tired just like you and me. I'm sure every day, about three o'clock, like I do, Jesus probably took a nap. Well, he may not have taken a nap, but he was tired. Just like, he got tired just like you and I do. So it's been a long, long, exhausting day, and he needed time alone. We talked about this before. He spent a lot of time just getting by himself to pray, spend time with the Father. It's really, it is amazing as you read through the Gospels, remembering who Jesus is and then what he allowed himself to become. Remember, he eternally self-existed in perfect fellowship with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And so, but he allows himself to become a human being and go through the suffering of carrying the sin dead and being crucified and being scourged and being mocked and spit on and all of those things because for God so loved us. The Bible says this is love that Jesus gave himself for us. So as you see that, you realize, man, he did love me. How significant it is that God loves you. We just don't say it. We should live it, be our reality. So they're going to cross over. In essence, just let's get away for a little while. Let's cross over to the other side. Let's just ride the lake over. Now, it's about five miles across, and they're going, as I said, they're going to this land of pagan Baal worship. Now, verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, that's the crowd that's on one side, they're going to the other side, they took Jesus along in the boat as he was, as he was. And other little boats were also with him. So I want you to get the, the picture as we see as this begins to happen. They're on the Sea of Galilee, just like they are. They get in the boat, they're going to cross over the other side not just the boat that they're in. There are other boats with them. They got the flotilla. I like to say words like that because I don't, you don't get to use a word like flotilla very often. So they got the flotilla with them and they're going from one side of the lake of of, of Sea of Galilee to the other side. They're not alone. But I want you to notice one more time, it's important as we transition. The end of verse 35, the words of Jesus Christ, let us cross over to the other side, to the other side. Now verse 36, let us cross over. I'm with you. Verse 36, they took him in the boat with them as he was. So I want you to notice a couple of things. They've got the Savior's presence with them, and they've got the Savior's promise with them. Let's cross over to the other side. Why would Jesus say, let's cross over to the other side if they weren't going to the other side? The point is, Jesus said, we're going where? The other side. Jesus got in the boat with them. So whatever happens from the time they get on this side to they get to the other side, who's with them? Jesus is. He's in the boat with them. And please, if you think that's just phraseology, don't miss this. God is teaching us a principle. No matter how rough your lake gets or your sea gets or your fire gets, who's in the midst of it with you? Your Savior is. Heard me say a million times, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because when they put them in the fiery furnace, there was just three. But when they looked in later, they saw how many? 
because there was Jesus was in there with them. It's what's called a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. He was in the fire with them and he carried them through. He's in the boat with them and he's already said we're going to the other side. Now it may get rough in the crossing and we're going to see that it does. But what did Jesus already told them? We're going to the other side and he is in the boat with him. And what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, they've seen incredible miracles by this man. They have, they have, they have heard him teach unbelievable things with the kingdom parables and, and other things, but they've seen him do just amazing things. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law, on and on. They've seen him work miracles. They've heard him teach in a way that no one had ever taught. Authority that they just staggered them. And they've spent intimate time alone with Jesus. Now here's the whole point of what we're about to look at. It's the fact that Jesus is God over danger in our lives. They've seen him. They've heard him. They've been with him. Jesus is about to find out whether they trust him or not. Because in our lives, applicably, we're born again and we're glad Jesus died on the cross for us and we're glad that we're saved. We're glad that we're going to heaven when we die and we just rock along and do life. And when do we normally cry out to God in agony? It's when some tragedy suddenly strikes. What Jesus wants is for us to trust him moment by moment, day by day, Good times, bad times, rough times, difficult times, smooth times. If you're on a sea or you're on a lake, sometimes it's really smooth. Sometimes it's what? Incredibly rough. But if Jesus is in the boat with you, whether it's incredibly rough or it's smooth, what do you know? It's okay. The theme of the Bible, Habakkuk 2.4, the theme of the Bible is this. The righteous shall live by faith. And the righteous doesn't mean the good people. The righteous means those who know God. We talked about being sons and daughters of God. I love that song. As a child of God, as his son, as a child of God, as his daughter, God says, trust me. I'm in the boat with you. I'm I'm greater, bigger than the danger that you face. So he wants to find out when the storm comes up, Jesus wanted to find out, are you going to trust me? By the way, he talked about Jesus being omnipotent. He was also omniscient. He knew everything. Did he know a storm was coming? Very, very real chance he created the storm. He wanted to, as a test. He knew the storm was coming, and he wants to find out, will they trust me? I love the way he, this is pictured to us. In the middle of the storm, they're in obedience to Jesus. They got in the boat <clears throat> to go to the other side. Right then, everything was cool. But when the storm arises, are they going to trust him then? Are they going to obey him then? So verse 37, notice the Savior's peace. A great windstorm arose, uh, arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and he said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? A great windstorm arose, waves beat into the boat. It was already filling. It's interesting geographically, when you study the Sea of Galilee, which I did last week, it's absolutely fascinating. It's an unusual body of water. It's not that big, relatively small, 13 miles by 7 miles. It's only 150 feet deep. It's 680 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains, 
And so therefore, sudden storms would happen often because the downdrafts would come down from the mountains and the winds would sweep down and they would have horrific storms that would just crop up. It could be peaceful one moment and just be in a horrific, violent storm the next. It's not unusual for them to get 20-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. So incredible, violent storms would just pop up. That's what happens here. But I want you to notice verse 38. And they left the verse 38. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. They awoke him and said, do you not care, teacher, that we are perishing? Now, let's go back for a moment. When Jesus called these guys, most of them did what for a living? Ever been any time, I think they'd ever been on the Sea of Galilee before. How about every day of their whole lives? They were experienced fishermen Therefore, experienced boatmen. This storm must have been what? If they thought they were going to die, how bad was this storm? It had to be incredible. And Jesus is sleeping through it. And they go to him, verse 38 again, and say what to him? What's wrong with you? We're, all, we're dying here. Get, wake up. Because they knew what? Remember, they had spent time with him. They'd seen him do incredible things. They had listened to him. They'd been with him. What did they know? That he could do what? Anything he wanted to do. Or did they really believe that? They had seen it. I love the Bible and I love the honesty of it. One of the reasons you know it's real is that it doesn't pull any punches. These were the guys that were going to lead after Jesus was gone. But they struggled a lot of times with trusting him. Sound like you or me, maybe? They were his closest friends, particularly Peter, James, and John. Yet at times, they struggled in their faith. What about Peter the night Jesus was taken? And he denies him. James, on and on. So here we are in the boat. They think they're going to die. It's an an amazing storm. And they go to Jesus and say, do you not care? We're We're dying here. You're asleep. And the Greek, when it says Jesus was asleep, means the way that it's set up with the mood and the voice, getting all that. But here, it's a beautiful picture. What it means is he was awake when the storm started. Then he went and took a nap. You see the picture that God wants you to get? Jesus knew the storm was coming, probably created it. And he sees it coming. And rather than saying, hey, boys, look, what does he do? It's time for my nap. I'm going to lay down. So he goes to the stern of the boat and he's asleep. There's another picture here that you please don't need to miss. The peace of Jesus Christ. To everyone else in the boat and probably to those in the other boats around them, what are they thinking at this moment? We're going to die. We're going to die. What's Jesus thinking? I'm, I'm liking my nap. Does the storm bother him? Is the storm a big deal to him? No. He's at peace. You know what? What does he want for you in the midst of your storm? He wants you to be at peace. The way that phrase is used in the New Testament is like this. When I'm born again and I come to God and I surrender by faith to Jesus Christ, God says, I am at peace with God. I'm no longer his enemy. I'm now his son, his daughter. I'm in the family of God. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I'm at peace with God. 
But subsequent to that, as I live my life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life on a daily basis, God wants me to enjoy and to know the peace of God. The calm serenity of knowing that I'm born again and that my God is sovereign over my storm, whatever it might be. Jesus is bigger than my storm. Now, please note this. This is really important because there's so many preachers and theologians out here who are lying about what I'm about to tell you. And I'm telling you based on the word of God and life. They still had a storm to go through, didn't they? And some people will tell you, you won't have any storms if you're with Jesus. Everything will be well for you and you will always have everything you want. The Bible tells me the exact opposite. You will have storms. You will have difficult times. Satan will attack you. You will be persecuted. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, direct quote from the Apostle Paul, you will be persecuted. So you're going to have storms. You're going to have difficult times. But here's the point. And I don't mean to belabor it, but it is so essential. Here's the point. You're going to have storms. Who's in the boat with you? Jesus. You still got to go through the storm. What you do is trust him to be God over the storm, whatever it is, that he's God over the storm and he'll handle it. Because what has he already said? I love this picture too, because it's used to describe when a believer dies in another part of the New Testament. Jesus had already said, let's go to the other side. The term is Exodus. We use that term. Talking about obviously in the Old Testament, that's the term. Let us go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But when I die, where do I go as a believer? I go to the other side. I go home. That term is used by Peter later on. Interesting, Peter's in the boat, right? And later on, he uses that phrase to describe going to heaven. Going to the other side. Going home. Jesus carries me in the storm. He's already promised me we're going to the other side. And when I get there, he'll be with me. He carries me. Through the storm. They miss Jesus' peace. All they can see is we're dying. Jesus, won't you do something about it? So now they're going to see verse 39 is power. This is the point of the miracle. He arose and he rebuked the wind. I love that. He arose and he rebuked the wind. Kind of like with your kids. Hey, did you not hear me? He rebukes the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. Do you see that? Wow. The miracle. Jesus' response is, all right, you interrupted my nap. They think they're dying. And this is a horrific storm. And the word in Greek is he gets up and muzzles the wind. He muzzles the wind and he tells the sea what to do. Peace be still. And what's the result? Please don't miss the result. What does it say? Suddenly it was calm. You see that? Now here's the miracle. The miracle is not that the storm stopped, because eventually what would have happened with the storm? It would have stopped. The miracle is that it stopped just like that, because the God of the wind, the God of the sea, Said, hey, he muzzled the wind and told the sea to be still. And they immediately 
obeyed him. They immediately obeyed him. You know why they immediately obeyed him? Because he's what? He's God. Where'd the wind come from in the first place? He spoke it into existence. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. Wind exists because Jesus created wind. Where'd the sea come from? It existed because Jesus spoke it into existence when he created the universe. The Sea of Galilee, he created. And so if my God can get up in the middle of a storm that is horrific enough that it's going to kill these, these professional fishermen, think they're about to die, and he just wakes up in the stern of the boat and says, peace, be still, and the storm is over? You think it got their attention? If you read on, you will see that it does. Verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Remember, we talked about as we get into this section that Jesus is going to exhibit his power now in their presence. They've heard him teach. They've seen him do miracles. But now he's going to show them some incredible things. They're going to witness to remind them I'm not just some itinerant guy you've chosen to follow. I am God. Even today, the reason this is so significant for us is even today, the vast majority of people in our nation view Christianity as an option for faith. What does Jesus say? I'm not an option. I'm the only way. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the rest of that verse? No man, no man comes to the Father but by me. There are a lot of options out there. And people have the right to choose those options. But none of those options will redeem. None of those options can tell the wind to shut up. And it does. None of those options can tell the ocean or the sea, hey, ease up, and it does. We'll see later on. None of those options can walk on top of the water. None of those options can walk up to a cemetery and say, Lazarus, come here, and a dead man walks out. None of those options are God. None of those options have this kind of power. None of those options are omnipotent. They are simply man-created religions to function. Christianity is God becoming a man so that we can know God. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. The Word, by the way, Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That means before there was time, there was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus Christ. And the Word speaks and the universe exists. The Word speaks and the wind stops. The Word speaks and the sea is calm. The storm that terrified these men unto death, Jesus just stops by speaking. Please don't miss that. What's Jesus want you to take away from that? That the one thing you might fear the most, and the one thing most all humans fear more than any other, if they don't know Jesus, they fear death. Because they can't control it, they can't stop it, they can't buy it off. Jesus said, it's no problem for me. The Bible tells us that when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. 
That's why death is not a victory over us. It has no sting in our lives. The grave is not a problem for us because we go home. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.1 that when I die as a believer, it's the best day of my life because I go home. So he's pointing out to them who he is. They graphically see in the middle of this storm who Jesus is. Now look at verse 40. You see the disciples' fear and their faithlessness. Remember, all Jesus is trying to find out is, are you going to trust me? And we can see that they don't. Verse 40. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Number one here on your handout that we're looking at is Jesus' power over the danger in our lives. And here's the real danger. The real danger is not the storm on the Sea of Galilee here. The real danger is not trusting Jesus. Not trusting Jesus in the middle of the storm. That's the real danger. What Jesus wanted them to understand is, you've, why don't you trust me after all you've seen me do? After all I have been to you and for you and you've seen, why don't you trust me? He knows they're not perfect, but he wants them to trust. What would he say to us? Trust me. I am God over your storm. They had recently heard the Sermon on the Mount, and they've heard the parables of the kingdom. Jesus said, I don't understand. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? I'm going to show you one last passage of Scripture, and then we're done. Matthew Chapter 6, in that, in that Sermon on the Mount, but they had recently heard, they had recently heard, so hang with me for just a moment and we're done. Jesus said these words, it's on the screen there. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Please don't miss verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, look back at our text at verse 41. One more point. It says, they feared exceedingly. Now, this is really helpful when you understand the original language. It says here they feared exceedingly. This is a different word than earlier 
They were afraid of the storm, right? That was like terror. The storm is going to kill us. This fear here is not the same word. It's a different word. This fear here is biblical fear. They feared exceedingly, realized suddenly we are in the presence of deity. It means reverential awe. Wow. The wind and the sea obeyed this guy. Incredible. Earlier they were terrified of the storm. Now they are realizing I am in the presence of God. And when you see that in the Bible, you see people just fall down on their knees before God. That's what God wants from our hearts. Bow your heart before me. Realize you're in my presence because you're in God's presence all the time. He lives inside you if you're saved. All the time you're in his presence. And he says, I want you to bow before me. Humble yourselves before God. And he will exalt you in due time, scripture says. These guys are beginning to see it and they're still going to struggle. I love that because I've been a Christian 47 years and there are times I struggle isn't that a beautiful thing to understand? I don't want to struggle, but sometimes I do. But Jesus said, Randy, I'm in a boat with you. I got the wind. I got the sea. I got you. Trust me. Fear me in a good way. Awe, be in awe of who your God is. Because I am God. You have all the victory you ever need over the danger in your life. I got it. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we stop before you today we, in prayer. We do want to humble ourselves because you are God. We thank you today. Just in a simple example you've shown us today, reminded us that you're God. You're in the boat with us, that our Savior is always with us. Whatever our storm is, He's not only in the middle of it with us, he's already promised he's going to get us to the other side. We just have to trust him, deal with it and trust him because he's bigger than the storm. Ever how long the storm lasts. It may be quick, it may be a while, but but he's still God. So I pray we trust you, Father, and, and understand that that's what you want from us. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark, it's in the trust in a God who can calm the sea stop the wind. We trust a God like that because he is God. So for those of us who are believers, Father, even as we close out today, I pray we'd meditate on that as as we sing and think about who our God is. We'd meditate on how special it is to know you, to be your child. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, they might say, wow, that Jesus, I need that. He died in my place. He took my sins on the cross. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my life. Save me. I need that kind of God in my life. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. and.